Would you turn with me in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let me answer a question that you may have already. What about Matthew? I thought we were doing Matthew. Didn't you send out an email last week? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. As we go through Matthew, what we want to do this year is we want to sprinkle in some sermons where we refresh in our vision and our values. If we're going to plant three more churches over the next 12 years that are going to grow, be healthy, and the four of us together plant even more churches, and we say our values matter. Our values are a vehicle that help us get to that vision, then we need to dust off on them. We need to know them. So today, as we open 1 John, we're looking at how we continue, hear that word continue, to build a community of love. As we look at this value of community, I want you to see that this value, the C in our values, connects to the G of gospel. We're going to see that in the sermon. But I also want you to see this. The C in our values connects to the M. When we build a community of love, we will be a church of mission. How can I say that? Let me give you some statistics. Did you know that we are living in a day and age where the U.S. Surgeon General's office says we are living in an epidemic of loneliness? Anybody heard this? We are living, yep, there you go. We are living in a day and age where people are feeling more lonely than they've ever felt. Let me give you some statistics that bear this out. In 2023, the average teenager spent 150 minutes per day with friends. How many of you after school? Go to the mall, ride bikes, hang out, right? Today, that has dropped from 150 minutes a day to 40 minutes a day. Here's another statistic for you. Only 16% of Americans feel connected to their local community. Only 16%. That means, flip it around, that means 84% of Americans do not feel a connection to their local community. 84% of 300 million, America, 300 million Americans represents an incredible mission field. Do you see that? If we're a strong community, we can get at the M of speaking gospel love and truth to loneliness. Loneliness has incredible impacts on our physical health. We're only just now starting to understand it. Let me give you some more statistics. People with good and healthy social relationships recover quicker and better after a surgery or hospital visit. Here's another one for you. People who lack good, healthy social connection, people who live in isolation, people who live in consistent loneliness are at risk, are, are, excuse me, let me say that again, have a 50% greater chance of developing dementia. People who live in chronic isolation have a 50% greater chance of developing dementia. In fact, the Surgeon General's office in a 2023 report said this, we now consider loneliness to be more dangerous to your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Did you catch that? Loneliness is more dangerous than smoking a pack of cigarettes per day. Why? 
Loneliness robs you of relationship. And relationships are the primary source of meaning, purpose, significance, and motivation in this world. I'd like to add a, a, a biblical, a theological layer on top of that. I'm gonna say this, it's not the relationship itself that fixes the problem. I think social connection and relationship are like plumbing pipes, they're like conduit, they're like a tube or an aqueduct through which something flows and that something that flows through the tubing, that's what gives us life. What is that thing that flows through the tunnel of relationship? It is the life-giving waters of love. We are designed for love, we need love, and Christianity, biblical true Christianity, has so much to say to love and healthy, loving relationships. Let's hear that in the text. Go with me, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Grace, this is the word of the Lord. And it is given to us in love and for our good. 84%, some probably 270 million Americans living in loneliness and love, love represents an answer. Do you see the gospel opportunity before us? Oh, grace, we need this. The outside world needs this. And here's how we're going to get at this morning. Here is your outline. First, in order to keep building a community love, we have to see the clear call to love one another that makes us sacrificial servants. We need to see the clear call to love and how it makes us sacrificial servants. The second thing we need to see is this, the better basis for loving one another that makes us awe-struck abiders. The better basis or the better grounding for love that makes us awe-struck abiders. That's where we're going this morning. Here's what we're doing. Let's go to that first point. Let's see that to keep growing as a community of love, we need to see the clear call to love and how that clear call makes us sacrificial servants. Let's start in the text. Let's start in the text. We see in the text a clear call and a command to love one another. Let's actually look at verses 7 and 11, our first and last verse together. Here John does something very interesting. Do you see how verse 7 and verse 11 are very similar? Beloved, love one another. Do you see that? When it starts at the beginning, starts at the end, it's called bookending, and this is a very important literary technique. This is John's way of saying, hey, Grace, pay attention. This is super important. I'm beginning with it. I'm ending in it. Make note of this. He's already drawing our attention to a very important lesson and that very important lesson is this. We've got to love one another. We're called to love one another. 
I mean, that right there presents the case, right? Like we see it. It's clear cut. There's no real mystery there. But go to verse 8. Go to verse 8. John drives the point home. He's not overselling the point. He wants you to see just how important this call to love one another is. Look at verse 8. It's kind of stark. John's a warm, happy, fuzzy, encouraging kind of a guy. But look at verse 8. He says, if you don't love, you don't know God. Wow. Wow, that's pretty stark. Wow, okay. John is so clear. If we don't love one another, there's something off in our relationship with God. There's something in his character that we are missing. John calls this to love each other. In fact, we can say this is a command to love each other. Grace, as well as we do at this, we can never get complacent. There's always upward and onward when it comes to building a community of love. Now, here's the thing. We see the command, right? We see the call. It's clear as day. We don't need to oversell it. We don't need to spend a lot of time there. But here's the thing. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful with how we use the word love. We have our cultural notions of what love is, and we cannot put that on the text. No, we've got to hear what the text is saying, how the text is defining love, and then let that speak on to us, right? Like this gets kind of confusing. I mean, think about how we use love in our society. Think of all these different phrases and how they differ in their notions of love. Like we say, I love my wife. That's different than saying, I love my kids, which is different from saying, I love my friends, which is very different from saying, I love tacos, or I love traveling, or I love the bears, right? See how we use the word love in many different ways? We've got to get the right definition of love. We have to know what John means. We have to know what the Holy Spirit inspiring these words means when he uses the word love. So what kind of love is in view here? What is biblical love? How do we define love biblically? Well, I think the best way to start is with that phrase in verse 7 and verse 11, one another, one another. That phrase, one another, occurs 141 times in the New Testament. It's there in the Old Testament. And I once heard someone tell me, if you took all the one another's and drew a circle around them, distilled them down, and to their common essence, that would be a great definition of biblical love. That makes sense, right? Do we have time to go through all 141 definitions? I don't think that we do. Let me just give you a few. Let me give you a few. Look with me at Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Go to Romans 12.16. Live in harmony with one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 have the same care for one another. Hear all those one another's? Let's close with Galatians 5.13. Serve one another. There's so many other one another's. Greet one another, welcome one another, be kind, encourage, build up, instruct. If we took all of that and said, okay, what are we getting at here? How do we define love? Because I want John's definition of love. We can go to two men who have studied these one another's, and they give us two very helpful definitions. The first is a New Testament scholar named F.F. Bruce. Here's how he looks at those one another's and defines love. He says this. He says that love is an all-consuming passion for another person's well-being. 
Love is an all-consuming passion for another person's well-being. One of my favorite biblical counselors, a man named Paul Tripp, says this. He says, if you took all those one another's and defined love, here's the definition that you would get. Love is a willingness to be inconvenienced. Love is a willingness to be inconvenienced. Grace, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Loving one another is a passion for each other's well-being. Loving one another is a willingness to be inconvenienced in the rat race of daily life for one another. When you form a community like this, who doesn't wanna join a church or a place like this? So many of you, your story as I get to know you is you've come from a place where you knew more judgment, some of you knew spiritual abuse, and you knew that You knew right and wrong, and you knew that more than you knew love, warmth, or acceptance. We have an awesome chance to redeem that here at Grace. Do you see the opportunity to love each other, to build a community of love that invites in that 84% of Northwest Indiana that feels lonely. We have an opportunity to replace the judgment and the harshness that you felt with sacrifice and acceptance. These definitions are so helpful, right? An all-consuming passion for each other's best interests and a willingness to serve each other. They're so instructive. They make love so practical. If we are to have a passion for each other's well-being, if we're to have a willingness to be inconvenienced for each other, then you have to see this clear call makes us sacrificial servants. Sacrificial servants. We must continue, Grace, to be on the lookout for opportunities to sacrificially serve each other. So many of you do this so well. And please just hear a thank you. This is not a corrective This is an encouragement. This is a, we want to build you up. Let me give you some examples. Did you know last week in those negative wind chill temperatures, two men in our church decided to get together and build a ramp to help us get stuff out of that pod. They took a Saturday morning in negative weather and they did that for you. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that two weeks before that, People on our audiovisual team got here at seven in the morning, 7.30 in the morning, because we knew we were gonna have these different speakers, this different sound set up, and they came here in the cold just to work on that so we could worship. There's other examples, right? I hear constantly, we have people checking in on each other. We have people going on like vacations and trips to each other and making sure, hey, this person seems like they might be lonely, let's include them in this. I hear other things. I hear some of you say, I did not feel the freedom in a church I loved to share who I really am, to ask hard questions, because I was scared I was gonna be seen as a malcontent, or I was embarrassed because I felt like I already should have known the answer to that question, and I felt very hesitant to ask that question, but here I feel the ability to do that. You have made that environment, that culture, that ethos happen. I just wanna say good on you for that. We're able to do that because you do that well. Now, Grace, please hear this. Let's not be satisfied. Let's not stop right there. 
In Jesus Christ, there is always an onward and upward. His love keeps flowing. It keeps filling us up, spilling over the edge and filling up other people. Let's make sure that continues to go. Let's take the next step. Oh, Grace Church, when we see the clear call to love one another, it really does make us sacrificial servants. But here's the issue. Do you ever have a day where you don't want to serve someone? Do you ever have a day where you're like, nah, I just want to watch sports. I just want to tend to myself. We need the help. We need the strength. We need the motivation. We need the energy and the resources to go love other people sacrificially. This brings us to our second point. We need to see the better basis for loving one another that makes us all struck abiders. We need to see this better basis. You know, we see the call, right? Go love one another. It's a call, it's a command, no getting around that, right? But here's the thing, here's the thing. It's not enough to just tell people, hey, go love someone else. In fact, that's not the way our God usually works. That's not the way he usually works. He always gives us motivation. He always gives us strength. He always gives us reason to go live out his commands. That's how Jesus can say, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He always gives us gospel with law. He always gives us grace alongside his command. He always fills us with love that propels our obedience. We've gotta get this right. We need a right view of who our God is or we will not live out this command and this clear call. Our God is so much more of a, hey, my children, Here's what you need to do. Here's how I designed the world. Here's how it's supposed to work. Do you see the good in it? Here's the why. He's always that before he gets to do it or else. How many of us have lived most of our life with a do it or else parent or view of God? Make no mistake, that's there in the Bible, but he always does this first. And again, and again, and again, before he gets to that, that's who he is. And when we get this right, we find the strength, we find the energy, we find the power to live out that command to love one another. So let's get that strength. Let's go back to the text and let's unpack the better basis for loving each other. Let's start with the basis. We've got better, we've got basis. Let's start with the basis. Go with me to verse eight. Let's go back to verse eight. Let's look at it again. Do you see how it says, if you don't love one another, then you don't know God. There's a corollary to that. If you do love one another, you have known God's love. You do know God. The logic works in reverse. Can we stop and sit in wonder at the fact that you can know God? Can we sit in the wonder that he knows you? Grace, there is such a difference in knowing about God, knowing data about God, knowing truth statements about God. Those are important, but there is a difference between that and knowing God in relationship as a loving father and a reigning king. There's a difference, we've gotta get this right. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Let me give you an example. The best cornerback to ever play college football or in the pros is hands down Deion Sanders. 
I will argue that with you till I go to the grave. Neon Dion Primetime is the best to ever do it. He is the best to ever do it. Now, let's ask this. Could you get a football card of Deion Sanders, turn it over, and look at his stats, see his interceptions, see his punt returns for touchdowns, the times he played offense? Yes, you could. Could you go watch old game tape of Dion covering the greatest wide receiver to ever live, Jerry Rice, and see how Dion could get the best of Jerry? Yes, you could do that, but you would know about Dion. Would you know Dion? No, you wouldn't. Well, as an eight-year-old kid, I once got to spend time hanging out with Deion Sanders. He was playing minor league baseball before his senior year at Florida State. He was playing for the New York Yankees, which were actually the team that drafted him. And my dad took me to a game in Vero Beach, Florida, where there was a rain delay, and I was allowed to go into the Yankees' dugout and hang out with Dion. I was awestruck. I mean, I couldn't say a word. How many of you have seen a little kid like clinging to mom and dad's leg? They won't introduce themselves. They won't say hi. They hide behind themselves, wrap themselves in mom's dress or skirt. Anybody know this? Yeah, that would have been me. But over time, over the course of that 45 minutes, I thawed out, I relaxed, and I actually got to talk and hang out with Deion Sanders. Here's the cool thing. Two months later, after I had forgotten to get my picture with Dion. I was at a fan day in line to get my picture with Deion Sanders, and Deion had to go to a press conference. He had to leave, stop taking pictures. I was at the end of a line of about 100 people. He looks at the line, sees me, points to my dad and says, baseball game, right? My dad's like, yes, yes, good dad, right? Yes. What did Deion do? Deion called me to the front of the line, and I was the last person to get my picture taken with him. Stop right there. Grace, you get something better than that. You get something absolutely better than that. You get to know God's love. Salvation means he has called you to the front of an eternal line. He chose you while you were standing at the back of the line, and he chose you before time began. We call that predestination. It's an amazing, beautiful truth. He chose you before he created time. And then, once you were born, he pointed at you at some point in your life and said, you, I want you in my family. Come to the front of the line. You are now in my family, and you get so much more than an hour with the Lord God. You get to know him for all eternity. Does that create any awe in you? Does that create any sense of wonder? When we know him, when we know his love, it creates an awe that drives us to love others with the love that we have been shown in Jesus Christ. But it gets richer. It gets deeper. Go to verse 9. Go to verse 9. It's not just enough to say that he loved us by, by our ability to know him and him foreknowing us. No. The basis for loving each other goes even deeper. It's there in verse 9. The world is broken. This world is a mess. Have you ever experienced that? Have you known dysfunction in this world? I mean, don't we all just know that greed corrupts politics? Two weeks ago, we talked about how children get kidnapped. All of us have seen homes wrecked by adultery or divorce. And we all know those internal failures that we just want to bloop, hide, and keep out of the spotlight, and no, you don't get to know about that part of my life. We've all got that, right? The world is a mess. We're a mess. The world is off. But the good news is that 
If the world is off, our God does not go hands off with us. No, he comes, he comes, he enters. He lives among us, but he lives as one of us and he enters into the mess. Oh, grace, he enters into the mess and he lights the way for us. He loves us despite the mess around us. He loves us despite the mess we've made. What is the mess in your life? Where would it be? What skeletons are there? Where do we feel shame? Where do we feel guilt? Where do we not wanna be known? Well, out of his great love for you, Jesus comes and still accepts you. He enters into the mess of your life by faith in him and he will never leave you. And that right there creates an awe that drives us to love others with the love that he's given to us. That he would come, that he would know us runs deep. It shows us his great love, but it gets even deeper. It gets even richer when we go to verse 10. Look at verse 10. You see, Jesus didn't just come to show us the way. He came as the propitiation for our sins. What does that word propitiation mean? I mean, that's like a five or six syllable word. That's a Scrabble word right there, right? You'll win some points if you use that word in Scrabble, but what does it mean? Propitiation is this. Propitiation is a sacrifice that absorbs God's wrath in place of another person. A propitiation is a sacrifice offered to God that absorbs his wrath in the place of another person. You see, he doesn't just love us despite the mess around us. It's not enough to say he loves us despite the mess in us. He comes to die. He comes to be a propitiation so he can cleanse and forgive and pardon the mess that is in us. He cleans it away. He washes it. He absorbs our punishment. Here's the thing. Have you failed to show his love to other people? If you're in Christ, that's forgiven. Have you lived in a selfish or self-serving manner? That is forgiven. Where do you carry guilt or shame? Again, let me ask, what's the mess in your life? It's forgiven. He takes our mess, he wears it at the cross, and it is zapped as he becomes our propitiation. He creates in you a clean account and a clear conscience, and you can now, by faith in him, call God Father. Why does Jesus do that? That foreknowing, that coming, and that dying as a propitiation, why would he go to such great length for you? Why does the Father elect and the Son come to die? There's only one answer. That is his great love for you. When you grasp that, when you get that, that right there creates an awe in you that drives you to love others with the very same love that you've been given. We said there was better basis. We needed to look at the basis. Do you see the basis in verses 8, 9, and 10? We call that the gospel. The gospel 
Oh, man, is the basis, the love found in the gospel is the basis by which we can go out and love other people. We say that's the basis, right? That's why gospel is a value at grace. It makes things go. It's the foundation that we never depart from. It's the basis, but we've got to see now how it is a better basis. It is a better basis. When you look at love in our society, when you look at where, where, where the dominant notion of love or where people think love comes from in our society, in our culture, you see that it's not just a basis, it is a better basis. Let me show you. Let me show you. As I've been doing some research, trying to figure this out, it looks like in our society, one of the most dominant notions of love is this, self-love. Anybody heard of this? You gotta love yourself. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all, as the song goes. I found this from a life coach on lifehack.org. Here's a quote that I really think illustrates this notion of self-love. Let's read this quote. Here's the advice for you today. Surround yourself with people who love and encourage you. Let them remind you just how amazing you are. Treat others with love and respect. It makes us feel better about ourselves when we treat others the way we hope to be treated. That last line sounds kind of biblical, but here's the thing. This is the idea. If you love yourself, you will have a reservoir, you will have a well of love from which you can now go love other people. There's a connection. If I surround myself with people who love me, I can love myself and then I can go love other people. I can return the favor. There's the basis. There's the source of love in our society. Here's the problem. It doesn't work. There's, there's several problems, several ways that it doesn't work. Number one, Focusing on loving yourself is inherently narcissistic. It's self-focused, not other focus. There's another problem. What do you do if other people stop loving you? What do you do if other people stop telling you you're amazing? What if they need to love you by telling you you're not amazing in this area and you may wanna work on that, it would help you, right? What do you do with that? You're gonna run out of love to give. We need a better source. We need a better basis for love. There's another problem with self-love. If you're into self-love and if you're focused on surrounding yourself with people who will love you, build your self-esteem, build your self-love, you will never go love a person who's hard to love. Why would you ever surround yourself with someone who's hard to love? And yet, as you read the Gospels, what was Jesus constantly doing? Loving people who were hard to love. Who's gonna love them in this model? No one loves, no one feels love if they feel left out. I Grace, I could give you other examples. We could talk about the love as what have you done for me lately syndrome that marks our society. I could talk to you about the love cup theory of marriage counseling where I need to love my spouse, fill her up with love so that she's got a reservoir to love me back. But all of these models of love reduce down to this. I'm getting love here or I'm getting love from a limited human being. Does that make sense? Do you see that? It doesn't work. God's sacrificial love found in the gospel really is the better basis for love. His love is eternal, so it never runs out. You don't have to hop from person to person looking for love. His love really is sacrificial, 
So it does not depend on you to love someone in return. His love really is merciful. His love really is gracious. So it doesn't depend on you being on your best behavior. His love is faithful. So it doesn't abandon you on your worst day. His love is purifying. So it brings real lasting change in your life. And his love is electrifying. So it propels you to love other people. And finally, his love is adopting. So it means you can know him and be known by him. We said that biblical love is number one, an all-consuming passion for others, and number two, it is a willingness to be inconvenienced. As you bring those two things together, grace, we've gotta see that Jesus Christ has done those two things for us. He has shown you his all-consuming willingness to be inconvenienced for you by coming to die for you. This is such a better love, a better basis for love than looking for love in self or looking for love in other people. And when you see this better basis for love, what does it make you? It makes you an awestruck abider. It strikes you with awe and we've got to abide in that awe. It makes you walk with wonder and we've got to abide. We've got to remain in that sense of wonder. Grace, we must abide. That means to remain. We must abide. We must remain in his love. We must never lose our sense of wonder at God's great love for us. We can never take amazing out of grace. And if we take awe and wonder out of grace, we will suck the life out of grace, church. But how? How do we become and remain awestruck abiders. How do we walk in wonder? Grace, we must remain. We must abide in his word. We must remain. We must abide in faithfully coming together to worship him. We must remain. We must abide in helping other people to abide as well. But how? How do we do that? How can we get at that? Let's make this practical. Let's close with this. As you read the word, as you participate in our annual Bible reading plan, please don't engage with God's word as a check the box exercise. Please do not adopt a check the box mentality towards it. I read it, I've done. At the same time, some people may need to hear, don't just treat it as a technical exercise, Googling everything, reading every commentary that you can. No, 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 no. That's good, that's fine. Yes, please read it. Don't not read it but we need to read the word looking for grace. We need to read the word. And as we do, we need to see how messed up the people in the Bible really are. We need to see how Adam picked his wife over God. We need to see how Abraham gave his wife away. We need to see how Isaac did what his dad Abraham did and gave his wife away as well. We need to see how Joseph was a little bit of a pretty boy and a prima donna. We need to see how Moses was weak. We need to see how David was an adulterer and a murderer. But then we need to see God's great grace to them. We need to see that he didn't give up on them. We need to see that he entered into their mess. We need to see that he met them in those spaces where they did not shine. We need to see that he still loved them and still used them to do great things for his kingdom. 
As you read the Bible this way, you will see that their story is your story and his story is your story. And that will continue to produce awe in you and you can remain, you can be an awe-struck abider. And when that happens, you will abide in the awe of the better basis of his love And that better basis will propel you to live out the clear call to love one another as a sacrificial servant. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, as we come to the table, we see your great sacrificial love for us. Father, we see that we need to be reminded of this clear call. Father, we need to see that not only do we need these reminders, Father, we need the strength, we need the energy, we need the motivation to do so. Oh, Father, please be with us. Please help us to cling to Christ. Please help us to be faithful in reading his word, but looking for, looking for, Father, your love, your grace found in your word. We love you, Father. We praise you and ask that you be with us now as we come to the table. And all God's people say, amen, amen. amen.